on this episode of Blue 58. It's a free agent spending spree in Green Bay. When was the last time you could say something like that? Let's recap the free agency story so far before diving into exactly what the Packers did and where they go from here. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here. If only we had something to talk about. It has been a relatively slow day or so. I kid. Of course, there's stuff to talk about. There is plenty to talk about. There's more to talk about in free agency than we, I think, possibly could have anticipated. Sure, we thought the Packers were going to be active, but I don't think we expected this. And you'll note that I am calling it free agency. We are not in the legal tampering period. By the time you're listening to this, we won't be in the legally legal tampering period anyway. It starts for real on Wednesday. But once you can start talking to free agents and even announcing hypothetical deals, this is free agency. It started. It started on Sunday or Monday or whenever. And now we're in the thick of it. All these deals are going to come through unless you're the New York Jets trying to sign Anthony Barr and tut-tutting people online and being like, oh, this isn't for real, we don't know for sure yet, is just silly. You know what this is all about. Plus, we can also, I think, get over the, the idea that we can criticize people for being upset that the Packers haven't done anything. Don't punch down with that. If you're a member of the Packers media, you should not be hanging people out to dry because they're upset that the Packers haven't done anything yet. Just let it go, and maybe they'll sign a whole bunch of free agents on one day and bail you out anyway. I think you can have fun about what, talking about what's going on without making people look stupid. Let's not try to make everybody else look stupid. Sound good? Good. Packers have done a lot. They've done, like I said, more than I think we ever imagined they probably could. I think the best way to go through this is kind of to go beat by beat chronologically through what happened a little bit yesterday, two days ago by the time you're hearing this, then what happened today, then kind of recap the methods the Packers used to get there, then talk about where they go from here. The first domino that fell related to the Packers was Malik Jackson, the now former Jacksonville Jaguars defensive lineman was connected to the Packers. Apparently the Discussion was down to Green Bay or Philadelphia for Jackson. I think this would have been a good move, but he ends up signing with the Philadelphia Eagles. Bit of a disappointment. Packers get used for leverage again. Womp womp, that happens. Next up, the Packers tender Reggie Gilbert and Justin McRae. Not a big surprise here. I think everybody pretty expect, pretty much expected this would, would happen, and it did. This was the next bit of news to trickle out here. There's no downside, I think, to tendering either one of these guys. You're not on the hook for a bunch. And if you bring them back and somebody outperforms them in training camp, you cut them very little lost. No worries there. Next up, we hear the Packers may be interested in former New England Patriots wide receiver Cordero Patterson. This, I thought, would be a great fit for the Packers. He does a lot of good things on special teams. He's very versatile on offense. And the number one attribute I said the Packers should pursue was versatility. Cordero Patterson is that. He doesn't do anything outstandingly well except for return kickoffs, but he does a lot of things pretty well. And you can get by with that. Ultimately, he ends up signing with the Chicago Bears. Okay, the last thing they need is another world-class kick returner in their franchise history, but Oh, well, it's not going to destroy the NFC North that 
the Bears have Cordero Patterson. Would have been nice to have in Green Bay. Not super disappointed. The next big domino to fall is the biggest one. Landon Collins goes to Landon Collins goes from the New York Giants to the Washington Redskins for roughly a billion dollars. You can look up the contract terms. It's more than anybody expected. Even for a guy of his caliber, it was an astonishing amount of money. It shouldn't be surprising that the contract or that the team rather that gave him that contract was Washington because that's kind of what they do, but it was surprising to see him get that much. And at this point, it was a little bit disappointing, I think, to be a Packers fan because you're feeling maybe a little bit like, wow, if this is what it takes to play in free agency, are we going to sign anybody at all? Just wait. Rounding out Monday, Jake Kumaro signs his restricted free agent tender, or the, the Packers tender Jake Kumaro. He's not He doesn't have anywhere to go, so he's going to be back with the Packers. Again, like Reggie Gilbert and Justin McCray, not unexpected, but good to see nonetheless. You bring him back, see if he can do what he did last year during training camp. Promising player, does a lot of things well. On offense, you see what happens. So Monday comes to an end. A little bit maybe disappointing for Packers fans. No splashes made in free agency. A few splashes elsewhere. You head into Tuesday wondering maybe this will be the day. And lo and behold, early on, it is. Early in the day, the Packers signed Zadarius Smith. The defensive lineman edge type from the Baltimore Ravens. Ian Rappaport says it's a four-year deal worth $66 million, $34.5 million for Mr. Smith in the first two years. And as would become a hallmark throughout the day here, versatility is kind of his thing. He does a little bit of the the stand-up pass rushing, does a little bit of the the hand-of-the-ground pass rushing. He rushes from the interior. Basically, he does a little bit of everything. He doesn't put up big stats, though he did lead the the Ravens in sacks last year. He wasn't a full-time player, And $16.5 million per year seems maybe like a little bit more than you might think they should spend on a guy like Smith at first blush. But you're also not breaking the bank either. And his deal is structured in such a way that it's not going to destroy the Packers' cap. Plus, he's still young. He's, I think, what could be safely called an ascending player. And he does a lot of things. And in a defense like the Packers and Mike Pettin run, being able to do a lot of things with a with the fewest amount of players possible is a big deal. Because even if this is a sub-package league, and it is, the less you have to sub, probably the better. That gives you more continuity. That gives you more flexibility in terms of what, you, of what you can do to catch the offense off guard because if you can run multiple things out of the same look a lot like you do on offense that goes a long way towards catching the offense off guard as the offense will try to do running multiple things out of the same personnel grouping if you can run nickel and give or your nickel personnel and give the offense a whole bunch of different looks it's the same as running 11 personnel all the time on offense and giving the defense a whole bunch of different looks Zadarius Smith is the kind of guy who can help you do that but he needs help on the back end and wouldn't you know it the Packers go out and get one of my favorite guys in free agency Adrian Amos 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 from the Chicago Bears 
who's 25 years old, will turn 26 this offseason. He gets a four-year, $37 million deal from the Packers for $14 million in cash flow in year one, $21 million for Amos in the first two years of the deal. Again, a versatile, versatile guy. Does some of the box safety stuff, does some strong safety stuff, does some deep free safety cover type stuff. He doesn't do it all at the highest of high levels, but he can do it all. And he helps other people do their jobs better. And if there's anything that's been in short supply on the Packers defense for a long, long time, it's been those players that help elevate other parts of the defense. Ever since Clay Matthews was the really the world-changing pass rusher, stopped kind of being that player, the Packers have really struggled to cover up any weaknesses in their defense at all with their higher-end players. And I don't know if Adrian Amos is going to be the kind of guy who's the highest of high-end players for the Packers' defense, but it does seem like he could help them cover up some of the holes in their defense just by doing a lot of things really well. It's similar, but not exactly the same to what Morgan Burnett did. Burnett was a highly intelligent player, was probably not the athlete, even at his peak, that Amos seems to be now, but he helped everybody get on the same page and stay organized and and do the things that they're supposed to do at the times they're supposed to do them. That is a valuable trait. If you can help other people play better, it's almost like having two people on the field for the price of one. If you can make another player better along with playing well yourself, that's a lo- that's going a long way towards helping your entire defense become better. Amos is averaging in this deal close to $10 million per year, which is on the high end. But the way these deals tend to work, especially when you're throwing a bunch of money at a guy in the first couple of years of a contract, is they'll get passed quickly. Think about what we saw with Devontae Adams the last time he signed a contract extension. His number jumped up a lot right away, but already he's getting passed left and right by receivers who are not nearly as good as he is and will not be as good as he is even by the time his contract is over. So just because a guy looks like he's making a ton of money right now isn't necessarily the be-all, end-all. That's true with Zadaria Smith. That'll be true with Preston Smith. That'll be true with Billy Turner. And it's true with Adrian Amos. You've got to look at this over the entire life of the deal. And for that matter, be a little bit a bit cautious about the numbers that you're seeing right now. As good a job as a lot of people out there, Tex Western in particular is a guy I work with a lot for AnkmePackingCompany.com. He's a wizard when it comes to breaking down how the cash flow in a contract will or could work until you actually see the deal broken down from somebody who has some knowledge from the inside. It's tough to say with any sort of confidence what these deals actually look like. Still, it looks like the Packers, generally speaking, are doing pretty well in terms of managing their cash flow and their cap hits while giving deals that allow them to be competitive with higher-end players on the market. So, Amos gets almost $10 million per year, sure, but they're projecting him as an ascending player, thinking he'll be better as he sticks around in Green Bay and sticks around in the league. The Packers are thinking that by the time this contract plays out, he'll have surpassed it in value. 
they think they're getting a bargain here. And there is that caveat of giving out A-plus contracts for B-plus players in free agency, but recognizing that's how the game is going to be, you get the best bargain you can. And the Packers probably think they're getting a pretty good deal here. So two free agents are down. At this point, I'm thinking, hey, this is a pretty good day. The Packers have been pretty active. They've filled in two holes in their defense. And they're already in a position where their draft is not going to be defined by reaching for need. They can get what they want. Get the best player. They, th- they, they, they can get the guy they think is just the best player. They don't have to fill in a hole at 12 or at 30 or at 44 or wherever. They don't have to work on filling holes. They can just draft the guys they think are good. That's always the best way to go about the draft. But then along comes Preston Smith, signing in Green Bay on a four-year deal worth $52 million, $16 million of which is fully guaranteed at signing, according to ESPN's Jacina Anderson. Apparently, Smith came down to the Colts or the Packers, and he ultimately signed with the Colts. He's averaging $13. million per year, which sounds like a lot, but Nick Perry's last contract was $11.8 million per year. That was already quite a few years ago. Sure, this Smith has never had the breakout pass rushing season like even Nick Perry did, but he does a lot of things well. He too is versatile, but I think in a different way than Zadarius Smith. So if you think of front seven positions, you've got stuff like nose tackle, three technique defensive tackle, five technique defensive end, Wide nine defensive end, the stand-up edge rusher type, whatever. All the different position designations you want to throw out there. There are inside players and outside players. And even with within the edge rusher camp, the outside linebacker edge type groups, there's a little bit of variation. The two Smiths the Packers acquired today are a pretty good example of that. Zedarius Smith is a little bit more of an interior edge guy. Preston Smith seems like a little bit more of an exterior edge guy. Both probably qualify as as edge players, edge defenders. But between the two, I think Preston Smith is a little bit more of a pure edge guy. He does the things that you think of when you think about a classic defensive end. He gets up the field and sets the edge. He rushes hard off the edge. He even drops into coverage and gets into passing lanes, defending things on the edge. Almost all of it comes from the edge of the defense. You don't see him rushing up the middle a whole lot. That's not to say that he can't. He has some good size as well. He just has tended not to, unlike Zadarius Smith. So some good value and versatility again here. Finally, to round out the day, the Packers move to the offensive side of the ball, signing former Broncos offensive lineman Billy Turner to a four-year deal with $28 million, worth $28 million, including some incentives that could push it up to about $29.5 million. Billy Turner is pretty much the classic Packers offensive lineman prospect. He was a college tackle. He's played a little bit of guard and tackle in the NFL. He's got some scheme experience. Denver does a lot of outside zone stuff, or they did when he was there last year. 
And he probably at this point is the Packers' preferred opening day right guard. I've seen a couple people whose opinions I trust talking online about how he'll still be in the mix with competition with Justin McRae and others. Yeah, I don't know if I believe that. I don't think the Packers signed him to a nearly $30 million deal to say, all right, let's just see who wins between him and Justin McRae. If that's what you want to do, you could probably just give the ball or give the, the job to Justin McRae. Because if you think it's close, why go out and spend almost $30 million on a guy who's going to be a part-time guard and maybe part-time tackle? That just doesn't seem like good business practices to me. For that reason, I think that Turner is going to end up as the starting right guard. He may not be there long-term, but for the short term, for 2019, I think this is their guy. They probably have some moves yet to come on the offensive line in the draft, maybe in free agency, who knows. But I think this is a lot like Byron Bell. The Packers didn't sign Byron Bell last year thinking that, well, maybe we'll let him back up Justin McCray. He was going to probably get a crack at that job sooner or later. The way they structured his contract, as we said at the time, he was almost guaranteed a roster spot. Billy Turner is kind of the same way. Signing him to a deal like this, he's not coming to town to back up Justin McCray. He's coming here to start, and he's going to get every opportunity to do so. May not be the right choice, may not be the long-term choice, but I think that's the choice the Packers have made today. So there's your four guys. What do we make of this? Well, first and foremost, I think the Packers approached this as with the correct philosophy. What is that correct philosophy? Well, I said versatility, sure, but overall, roster-building philosophy. Lance Zerline had, I think, the best encapsulation of it that I saw. He said online, on Twitter, smart NFL teams use free agency to cock up the roster enough so that they don't have to reach on draft day. When teams have gaping holes on your roster headed into the draft, they put themselves at the mercy of potential trade-aheads and below average for their actual picks. Trevor Sikama replies, in a vacuum, sign for need, draft for talent. I think the Packers put themselves in a position to do just that. Do just that. I don't think anybody would argue that the Packers didn't have a need on the edge on defense. They did. They only had, as of this morning, Nick Perry, Kyler Fackrell, and I guess Reggie Gilbert technically at the spot. Kendall Donerson there too. Not a lot of proven depth there. They needed some guys. And they got a couple guys today. They needed some. They got some. They needed help at safety. They got help at safety. Now they don't have to navigate the draft with those needs in the back of their head. They can draft for talent and get some talent. And as those contracts start to seem a little bit more expensive, as those cap numbers get bigger, and as maybe you figure out which of these guys can play and which guys were free agents for a reason, you start backfilling with the draft picks that you get this year that you could just draft for talent because you like them. Zach Cruz of the Packers wire filled out that idea a little bit more 
explicitly as it relates to the guys the Packers signed today. And this was before they added Preston Smith. He wrote, Zadarius Smith looks like such a good fit for Mike Pettin because he can rush from the edge and the interior, and Pettin loves interior disruption. You like Adrian Amos at safety for the same reason, versatility. He's interchangeable, can cover the deep half and play up and cover the intermediate area. In theory, Smith and Amos look like a really solid free agent combo. Young, hopefully ascending, versatile, reliable. The money's important, but the but those things lessen the risk, and obviously they arrive at major need positions. The Packers are caulking up their roster here, as Zerline said. They're filling some holes, and then they'll add on later in the draft. The Packers were also able to limit their cap hits. Per Aaron Wilson on Twitter, uh, kind of a capologist type guy, the Packers cap hits before we figured out the, the deals for Zadarius Smith were $5.35 million for Preston Smith, $5.4 for Adrian Amos, and $3.9 million for Billy Turner. That's just in 2019. Not too bad. The Packers have structured their cap hits and cap flows to give themselves some flexibility. That cash flow is important too because the Smiths, and Amos are all getting the bulk of their guaranteed money sooner than later. Those cap numbers are going to go up later on, but there won't be issues with their guaranteed money hitting late. And as a result, if things go south with any of these guys, there won't be problems if you have to cut them loose with cap penalties. If there's nothing guaranteed, you don't worry about a guy blowing up your cap if you have to cut them. Or in the case of Antonio Brown or Odell Beckham Jr., trading them. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people lining up to give the Packers trade deals for Zedarius Smith in a couple of years, but you never know. And if the Packers decided they did want to move on via a trade, they wouldn't have to worry about accelerating bonus money into their cap. This kind of gives the Packers flexibility now and later. And in theory, as a result of that flexibility now, the Packers may not be done. So what happens next? Well, we're kind of entering the value shopping portion of free agency. If the Packers do more, it's probably like a medium-sized deal or some small one-year deals. And let's keep it close to home. Bashad Breeland would kind of represent a medium-sized deal, probably, for the Packers. And Muhammad Wilkerson, who the Packers reportedly are working on a one-year deal with, would probably be one of those smaller deals. I would be surprised if Wilkerson is getting a lot more than the veterans minimum. Some people said two to three million a year. That seems even on a little on, on the high side. A guy with his level of uh, accrued seasons, I think is looking at a veterans minimum, a little under a million dollars. That seems probably about right. He didn't show a lot before he arrived in Green Bay the last couple of years. He was with the New York Jets and obviously only played three games last year. That seems like a veterans minimum kind of situation to me. Maybe a little bit more, but not a lot. The Packers also could clear some more cap space this week. Jimmy Graham is due a $5 million roster bonus on March 18th, releasing him this week. Before then, would clear about that much in space. Tremont Williams counts about $6 million against the cap right now. Cutting him would clear another $5 million or so, a little bit under. So in theory, they could use their existing space, plus the space you'd get from cutting Jimmy Graham, plus the space you'd get from cutting Tremont Williams to sign another hypothetical higher-end player. I'm not saying what that 
to what will happen, but it's not impossible. The Packers could do that. And I think it's important to note that's possible because the Packers still have needs. Tight end is a need for the Packers right now with or without Jimmy Graham. They've only got Graham and Robert Tanyan and Evan Bayless, but I'm not really counting him, on the roster right now. Mercedes Lewis is a free agent. He could come back, but he hasn't even said if he wants to. He's, he's 35. Lance Kendrick, same deal. Not 35, but you know the story. They could use another safety. Adrian Amos isn't going to be your deep, you know, ball hawk safety type. Whether or not they sign Bashad Breeland will probably determine whether they could use another corner. Right now, he hasn't been signed, so they certainly could probably use another one. Basically, they need depth everywhere on offense and on defense. They could use another running back. It's never a bad idea to have more offensive linemen than you think you need. Basically, the Packers can continue to fill out their roster. Maybe you decide to not do that via free agency, but it's not impossible. And the Packers could clear more cap space if that's what they decide they want to do. Also, I think worth pointing out, we've got a crash coming. Talking with Gary throughout the day, who did great work on the graphics, I should add, uh, on the blog and on social media. Great stuff there. Check that out. Um, I think that's a a distinguishing feature for us, by the way. Our graphics are are excellent, and Gary does a great job on those. Um, But talking with Gary, he had a great point. Neither of us are drug user, but he said that he thinks signing free agents is a little bit like you would imagine taking drugs is like. It feels so good in the moment, but you also know it's probably never going to get better than it is right now. Even if Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith and Adrian Amos play well, things are probably not going to feel as good in regard to any of them as they do right now. Here on March 12th, 2019, we are feeling one emotion when it comes to these guys. Hope. They can only ever be great, right? It's going to be awesome. These guys are going to do great. They're going to play great. They're going to make the Ravens and Redskins and Cubs, Bears, um, and Billy Turner, the Broncos, they're going to make them all look stupid, and the Packers are just going to ride these four great free agents to another Super Bowl win. There's no downside here. But maybe we get to training camp and Preston Smith isn't winning one-on-one pass rushing drills. Zadarius Smith gets a little bit dinged up. Maybe misses a game in the first four weeks of the season. Start to wonder, wow, how much are we paying these guys again? It's not going to feel as good as it feels right now. There's a crash coming. We're going to start to second-guess some of this stuff. As exciting as it is to sign free agents, there is a crash coming. That sugar high, maybe if we don't want to use the drug analogy, is going to wear off a little bit. The caffeine crash is going to come. The fun of staying up late to play video games or whatever is going to wear off when you have to get up for work the next morning. Not that I would know what that feels like, of course. Point is, it's not going to be this sort of great fun feeling forever. And sometimes maybe you have to eat a cap hit for a guy that you really needed to sign at the time. Do we have an example of that? Boy, do we. Packers released Nick Perry today, and that's something I wanted to talk about while I've got you here. Before we dive into day three of free agency, the Packers had to make a move today. And this move was probably inevitable from when they signed Zadarius Smith. And it certainly became all but inevitable once the Packers signed Preston Smith. 
And depending on who you ask, especially if you ask Rob Domodsky, this move may have been a done deal even before free agency started. The Packers decided to release Nick Perry. Eating, thanks to not making him a post-June 1 cut designation, $11.1 million, $11.1 million in a cap hit. Thanks to that big free agent deal he signed in the spring of 2017. That contract did not work out. But does that mean it wasn't a good idea to sign him at the time? I would argue, no, it doesn't. And I wrote about this on the blog today. Check out the whole piece, but I'm going to kind of summarize the last part here. I don't think the Packers really had a choice with Nick Perry. There are two things that are true about pass rushers in the NFL. You need them to survive on defense, and they are just wildly expensive. Look what the Packers paid today. Neither Zadarius Smith or Preston Smith, nor Preston Smith, I guess is the grammatically correct way to say that, is what people I think coming into free agency thought of as elite edge rushers. But still, the Packers signed pretty rich contracts with both of them. At the time, coming off a 2016 season in which Perry was a very good pass rusher, the Packers were kind of between a rock and a hard place. They needed those pass rushers. They needed the pass rusher and Perry to continue to even remotely resemble a passable defense. And without Perry, they would have had just Clay Matthews and Julius Peppers on the edge heading into 2017. That's not ideal. They needed talent. And Perry had a good season. He also happened to be a very good run defender. And there was not a lot of other good options on the free agent market. It's not like the Packers could have just let Nick Perry go and signed somebody else. Because there just weren't a lot of elite rushers on the market. They hadn't gotten to the market. Perry was close to getting there. And whether it was the Packers or somebody else, someone was going to pay him a lot of money. The Jets were apparently in line to do just that. They may have offered even more than what the Packers did. And so the Packers had to pony up and give him a pretty big contract. And it didn't work out. But I think saying they shouldn't have done it because it didn't work out is not really fair because you're just playing the results and you can't evaluate something just on the results. Given what they knew at the time, the Packers kind of had to sign him. And that's really how you have to look at all your life decisions, whether it's free agency in the NFL or choosing a job or whatever. You can't just play the results with yourself. You've got to make the best decision you can given the information you have at the time and go with it. Sometimes you make the right move and you win. Sometimes you make the wrong move and you lose. And sometimes you even make the right move and you still lose. That's life. Sometimes it works out that way. And it's frustrating as fans of the Packers to see it work out that way here. I think the Packers made the right move at the time with Nick Perry. I think they made the only move they could. And it didn't work out. Them's the breaks. It'll happen. And you know what? It could happen with the guys the Packers signed today. But it's been fun so far, and I think there's more fun on the way. It'll be fun to watch either way, I think. 
But that's all I've got for you on this particular episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find us, as you always do, at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and on Twitter and via email, thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com is the address. If you love this content, support us, if you'd be so kind, on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash thepowersweep, $1 per month helps offset our hosting cost for this podcast and our website. Support us on Teespring as well. Go to teespring.com uh, via a shop link at thepowersuite.com to find our fine selection of t-shirts and sweatshirts. And as always, the freest and easiest way to support us is by leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. No pressure, but it does help more people find the show. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback or thoughts or questions you give us help us make this entire operation better. It helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.